is a public service announcement on behalf of the End Podcast. The following contains adult themes and explicit language throughout. If this does not reconcile with your sensibilities, please find alternate sources of entertainment or simply put some rocks into a black bag, transport yourself and the bag to a bridge and have a good old fashioned game of unwanted Christmas presents. Toodle pip. <laughs> the escalation is real. The escalation. Is real. <laughs> one week I'm gonna. One week I'm not gonna have anything. But that said, I am your courageous leader. I am Matt, aka Marvel Spank on all platforms. I'm going to be hosting this little thing for the end pod. So first of all, let's whip around the cast, and they can introduce themselves. Goose, pick it up. Oh, hi, I'm Goose, and uh, just like everybody else found out today, I once used to scoop uh, horse shit and take boxing lessons from George Foreman. You can find me on all social medias at uh, 40ounce underscore Goose, and uh, hey, how's everyone doing? It's charming as ever. Oh. <laughs> and talking as charming as ever. Go on, Brian, pick it up from there for me, please. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Back on the scene, crispy and clean. It's Brian Boogie Down Brown, and you can find me on Twitter like it's never ever been. That's B O zero D I D P O W N. Delicious. I just, I never knew how much I missed that until I had it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have known that that was something that was missing in my life, and now I have it back in it. I only feel bad for me last week. So <laughs> pick up from there, Tim, if you can, possibly. I don't know. Is it possible? No, I, I can't follow that, but I'll just say my name is Tim, and I'm at TM Bagshaw on all platforms, and I like peanut butter and jelly and comic books. Straight into the point. It makes the editing a lot easier. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> and over to you, Joe. Take it away. Uh, Joe Pocket here. You can find me on Twitter at double zero Joe Pocket. Uh, it's supposed to be my week off, but uh, I love you guys so much. I decided to come back. So uh, I don't know whose legs were breaking this week, but I'm down, man. <laughs> I thought you were going to be breaking Matt's legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think it's going to be my legs again. But, you know, that's good. That's how you know your love's the strongest, when you break each other's legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's real love. That's, that's, how, that's how love is in the films. <laughs> it's that's like theatre love, baby. Please, break please a leg. Huh? And mm. give people your name, who you are, where you're from, and, well, anything you want, really. Go on, take the floor. Straight from the abyss, called friends. No need to follow me on social media. You know you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's crack on with um, the first news item of the week. There was a video compilation at the Disney shareholders meeting, and it was a combination of existing IPs that we knew were coming and uh, assigning dates to them. Now, the surprising thing was the end reveal that there is going to be a Disney 18 plus next year, which expands probably with some kind of parental lock catalogue to the Fox properties that Aliens, Predator and, and, and the such like. And also, there was a big close-up on the bottom left-hand corner and Black Widow was confirmed for premium video on demand for April. Now, it looked pretty legitimate and it sort of ties into what we were talking about last week. Yeah, uh, we, we were talking about it last week and I'm actually super excited about this. Because that means, like, anything that, that Disney owns, that which is fucking everything, 
that that can be on that 18 plus. I mean, you got the Fox properties, you got they they control Fox, so you're looking at TV shows and stuff too. Now they could eventually take uh, like it's always sunny, which is an FX property. Any of the FX properties yeah. they can put on Disney 18 plus. You're looking at a catalog that that really is just infinite as far as the things that they own that they could put on there. And I think that it's such a smart idea separating it from the regular Disney Plus because that right there you can have on ETV, you know, your kids pop on it. But that Disney 18 Plus, um, I just feel like we're going to get bad ass fucking content on there. Do you think that they're eventually going to try and switch the Mandalorian to that? Uh, or do you think they're going to kind of keep that in the Disney Plus like not 18? Oh, man. Mandalorian ain't going over, man. It's uh. premium prime content they're not gonna like they're not well i just got my fingers crossed for nude ashoka you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) do you think they'll do a completely different app for it or do you think that they'll do a parental lock when you sign in that's what i was wondering because you log on to disney plus right now at least in america what you get is i think four or five tabs you can either click on disney or pixar or star wars or marvel yeah It'd be cool if they had it on one app and there were just another higher level of tabs where it would just be Disney Plus and then Disney 18 Plus. And then you could click in that way and just have a parental lock on the Disney 18 Plus because that would just make it so much more streamlined. It would make it so much easier for, you know, the adults to find the adult, the uh, like the alien content, whatever the Fox properties are. I think that would be outstanding rather than a separate app entirely. In my opinion. As Bob Iger had previously said that he was really hesitant, if not completely reluctant, to mix the 18 content with the family content. Because ultimately that's until now the brand that Disney sold itself as. So it didn't (laughs) want to mix the waters. And I think that was one of the hesitancies about bringing Deadpool in as well. That if you're going to mix them in with the MCU and still have the R-rated content then how do you stop kids being interested in the R-rated content because it's a recognized IP? Let's assume that it's a separate app, um, Disney Plus and Disney 18 Plus. Would would that be a separate subscription fee then? Or would that cover, if you subscribe to Disney Plus, would you get Disney 18? I'm just going to go out on a limb and say they're going to charge us extra because Disney can and will. And, And will you do it? Oh, fuck yeah. Start by giving us some content on Disney Plus. Then you can start launching some other streaming fucking things man come on with the disney catalog as it is is of no use to you so if you were to have a separate subscription to then you would have the content that would be of use to you they have it or is it all shit i've already seen you know what i mean put everything in one place so now i'll have options on what to watch you know if you're separating it 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 dilutes the product there's less stuff for me to watch with having um fox studios in 20th century film It could be like HBO Max thing, whereby at least I know in the UK, HBO Max is largely goes to Sky Atlantic. So there could be new content that is derivative of the existing Fox channels. And who knows? I mean, Disney might actually start creating unique content for the app. Oh, I wouldn't be against that as long as they do it. I think last week we talked about what they're going to do with their Predator. And I think they're going to have it on on their Disney 18 plus app. Yeah, you mentioned last week that there was a possibility they would put it on Hulu, but this this is really the vehicle. And let's not forget previous conversations as well with the realignment of the way that Disney are handling content, that the priority is going, going to go to streaming. So who's to say that the aliens or Predator might not go straight to that? I mean, that's that seems where the direction's going. What so. I'd actually say in defense of Disney Plus is that it stopped me streaming stuff that I couldn't see elsewhere so things like agents of shield and like runaways 
that I would have just streamed illegally because of lack of other viable options. I'm now waiting until it's on Disney Plus and I'm actually watching it through that. Mm. Excellent. I like the positivity. It makes me feel <laughs> Maybe I'll stop sweating as much now. <laughs> I doubt it. I think uh, about so 10 days ago, Daredevil reverted back and it's only a matter of time that they, the rest of them iteratively do too. Now with the Spider-Man film and, and all the multi multiversal... Uh, effects of that there's a rumor that charlie cox might be rushed back into a position to be in spider-man and there's also been rumors that john bernthal might be in negotiations as well but uh would you like to pick this one up brian yeah 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 so you pretty much covered it so thanks matt that's it um over to the next point <laughs> fuck's sake <laughs> as far as i'm concerned disney owe us because they fucked us with civil war the amount of theories that oh my god we're gonna get luke cage and jessica jones running across mm. but um at the end of the day if they can get charlie cox and and it, it, there's a possibility now we know what's happening with jamie fox we know that all of the spider-men are supposed to be mcu now so if they can get charlie and john over that would be pristine and that would be like the biggest payback next to whatever they decide to do with Fantastic Four and uh, Krasinski. The awesome stuff about what's happening with Daredevil is that Daredevil is rumoured to appear in a latter version of Spider-Man. But they're going to be running a three-tier trilogy. So we're coming to the end of the first trilogy, which is his high school years. Then we're going to get the next trilogy, which is his college years, and the next trilogy, which is life after that. I think one thing about Spider-Man isn't only that he has this great rogues gallery, but he also has a good catalogue of best friends. And I think that's something that the character has been starved of in, in the other films, firstly because of intellectual property ownership, but to have someone like a, a Deadpool, like a Daredevil, or like a Johnny Storm, mm. and to be able to see that side of him where it does there's an equal standing, there's a level footing between him and another character, a reflective friendship there as opposed to him constantly looking up to people. Because I think that's one of the problems with the MCU Spider-Man at current is that he just comes up off as a fucking drip. He's, he has no confidence in any situation. And there's one of the biggest things, not to derail this on, on me slapping down the MCU Spider-Man because I ain't going to get Ying, ying, he's revving up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I didn't like in the first film was he had a shit suit and he was basically haphazard and clumsily winning. And then he has the good suit and he's haphazardly clumsily winning. And it's all about, well, you need to, you don't need the, the suit to win. Well, no shit, because it made no fucking difference. <laughs> but like, I just like him to, to just have confidence in one fucking relationship. And I think this is a great opportunity for that. I didn't I didn't know I would love love to see Charlie Cox come back as Daredevil um I, I'm glad that the IPs are reverting back do you think Disney's gonna use him and also do you think that fucking they're gonna bring Deborah and Wall back they can give us a guardian devil thing like shit I don't even care if she, if, if she gets AIDS and, and bullseye kills her like just bring her back <laughs> shit and then you know we can get that's a horrible thing to say uh, it opens up it opens up so many possibilities um 
with within the MCU, especially with what they can do with Spider-Man. And I think I agree with Spank on the fact that, you know, the first one, it was cool. You know, he was clumsy and all that shit. But in the second one, I really wanted to see like a more developed Spider-Man, mm-hmm. especially with confidence, because that was one of the key things in, in Spider-Man after he got, you know, after he became Spider-Man, like he gained confidence. That was that was his I thing. just want to keep it this level down, just that small amount down from like uh, limbo dancing in the street. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now! Confident, incredible, but not not over, not overly so. <laughs> yeah, go, go on. on. Did I hear you? Did I hear you right, Matt? Did you just call into the Spider Verse a pile of shit? Oh no, no, I didn't say that. No, I wouldn't do oh, that. Okay. I mean, that's <laughs> that's What's wrong good. with this guy? Oh, we need a second <laughs> on that. Yeah, yeah I mean, hey, Spider Verse is one of the best Marvel movies that came out, man. Yeah, Spider Verse is the opinion. best Spider Man movie of all time. And it, it was amazing. I loved it. I loved it. Incredible. I still watch it. Yeah. It's on Netflix now. We have the same Netflix. Okay. We have all the same shows, I believe. Okay. It doesn't make me like you anymore, mm-hmm. though. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're teaming up on me now, I see. Uh, In the Commonwealth. <laughs> But uh, I think this actually brings us nicely into something I would very much like. Go on then. Oh, you interrupted me now as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Just one last thing on uh, back to uh, if they might be bringing back the Punisher, John. Uh, what? How do you pronounce his last name? Bernal. Bernal. Man, yeah. forget forget Punisher because his Punisher made me think so much of Wolverine. I thought it was more Wolverine than it was Punisher. Man, the the. The animal in him that comes out when he gets angry. Yeah, he's like, it's Wolverine, man. He would be, he would be my perfect Wolverine. I'd love to see him as Wolverine. I love it. Give me him as Wolverine. He's short enough. Would be. I was gonna say. He's got the look. He's got the flat nose because he boxes. (laughs) I mean, perfect. He's perfect. Would be agree for me for him to play two separated characters. There is oh there's, there's just a list of them. I think there's about twenty. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he was in Blade and Deadpool. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you say Blade and Deadpool? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was he was in Blade Trinity and he was in Deadpool. But, I mean, yeah, there's I mean, yeah, I get that. no MCU. one likes to show off. So. <laughs> uh, well, fuck uh, me, huh? Well, no, I would do, but unfortunately, my dick won't fit through the screen. screen. If you ever feel a little tickle on the back of your neck, it's because I'm slapping the screen on the on the edge. <laughs> you know, it feels like somebody's walking over your grave. What? Well, well, I don't know what would be the equivalent to that. <laughs> it's like I, it's like when something real traumatic happens. You know, most people say it hits you like a ton of bricks. I like to say it hits you like a ton of dicks. It's just as painful because it's a ton, but it's more traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> You're too kind. I would have only put myself as about 500 kg, but you know, Jesus. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> I've got visions of boys now, the fucking Russian superhero or something. <laughs> well, I think oh, the biggest um, person to have two roles is going to be Maharshala Ali. He was a mm-hmm. uh, mouth and he's going to be Blade. So there is yeah. definitely a precedence on it. One thing before we move on, how do you think that, because I think the way that Netflix approached its cast was very much people with started in gritty young adult stuff or or they'd got a more of a more dramatic acting style how do you think they would necessarily fit into the mcu do you think it would be a smooth integration or do you think that being directed say by uh, a taika waititi or james gunn how do you think 
that's going to go with James Bernthal. John Bernthal. John. John Bernthal with a job. <laughs> Come on, he's an actor's actor. He's fucking, he's the nuts. Maybe not so much breaking bones, wrapping your arm around your neck and shit, yeah. but you could easily, like, transfer that across. I think as yeah. well that I, too much emphasis is put on R-rated being good and yeah. PG-13 being bad. I think when you look at some of the fight choreography, especially the knife fight in Captain America. Oh, I love that. Jeez. You can achieve whatever you want to with good choreographing that doesn't have to lead in somebody bleeding out. You can also have good good jokes. Like people think Ragnarok's funny for some reason, but that hasn't got swearing in it. <laughs> <laughs> like some people think that's funny. I mean, I guess I guess those people like like funny things that are funny. I don't know. <laughs> That's quiet. Hey, so all I'm saying hey, is that director can make you love Hitler. I mean, he's talented. It takes a talented director to make you love Hitler, man. I fell asleep in that film, so fuck him. <laughs> Back. Joe's a Nazi now. Yeah, Gully, you better speak before these guys run away. Yeah, go on. I know we won't see uh, the, the the Mike Colton Luke Cage because uh, he's doing the evil TV show by uh, the Good Wife's creator. But uh, I want to see uh, I want to see Finn Jones back in Iron Fist, just a movie to conclude it. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a shame. No, to no, do it. no, no. Good. But no. Do you know what happened on that first series though? They Netflix had commissioned a budget from Disney to do four series and The Defenders because of the success of Daredevil. They, they split the budget for Iron Fist between Daredevil Season 2 and Iron Fist. The reason why it didn't hamper Daredevil Season 2 is because you had the existing sets with uh, existing characters. You already had the training. You already mm. had the choreographs. Finn Jones was, was learning choreography on the day they were shooting. They were given script pages wow. the day they were shooting. He had six weeks before the first day of shooting and he'd never done any martial arts before. So what we found that he was so bitterly disappointed with how Iron Fist finished, he never stopped his martial arts training until the day that Iron Fist 2 wrapped. He did it all the way through Defenders and he did it all the way through Iron Fist. And I think you can see the progression. And I think that, and yeah. I actually think that that series was the downfall of Netflix Marvel Universe because yeah. people were so against that. When the Defenders came out, people hated that in reflux to Iron Fist. And then by then, the whole thing was falling apart and people never came back to it. So, Brian, mm. I'm going to give you that as your answer. And now what do you think? Do you want more Iron Fist, me old, me old mate? <laughs> Look, I want I, more. I, I'm going to say it like this. I'm going to say it like this. Like, so props to Finn. Like, and, you know, in this world, we're finding out a lot more about what the artists put into their characters. Get the behind the scenes. And these guys love what they do. Batfleck. But to hear that about... Finn Jones is really heart-wrenching. Need I say any more? But before anybody tells me what they think about that, we're going to move on to news article three, which ties in quite well with the previous one. And Goose is going to pick this up. Alfred Molina has been recast as Doc Ock. At least that's what the rumours are saying. And it feeds into the multiversal Spider-Man 3. But most importantly, when you start to put the pieces together, we have a Doc Ock. We have an Electro. This is going up to, we're, we're getting close to a Sinister Six. So you have Vulture, mm -hmm. Mysterio, the classic lineup. Goose, take the floor. <laughs> so let's start this off with the thing. 
Sinister Six is the classic villain team up. Stan Lee and Steve Ditko thought if one villain can make one issue super great, the only way to make this annual super great is if we have six of them fighting Spider-Man. And so the initial story was, uh, you know, Vulture, he, he gets together with all these people. They, take, they find out about Peter Parker. They take Betty Brant. They take Aunt May. And they send Spidey through a series of uh, trials to get them back. And it's fucking incredible. One of my favorite fucking villain lines up, lineups of all time. Now, the problem that I see is with, with these movies, they're not wanting to bring in characters that they've recently used. And so we've seen, we've seen a, almost a classic lineup. We've got especially a double trench coat wearing Alfred Molina. If he's coming back, I'm super fucking excited about that. He's one of my favorite Doc Ops. And so what I think we're going to see is a different lineup than the original. Uh, we're going to get Vulture. We're going to get um, Electro. Uh, but we've seen we've seen some um, we've seen some evidence of uh, some characters that are kind of less than a class that they could bring in, like uh, Peter Parker's teacher. Uh, I, I can't remember the last name, but he uh, Hydro Man. Hydro Man was one of uh, Peter Parker's enemies that ended up, it was one of his teachers. Let's see, we've seen the Tinkerer, we've seen Shocker, uh, or evidence of them. And so I'm thinking we're not going to get the classic lineup. Uh, we may get Mysterio, we may get Doc Ock, we may get Vulture, but I think those other three slots are going to be kind of wide open. Uh, so I'm interested to see where they go with this. Um, I am super, super fucking excited about it because I've been wanting to see them on screen for years. We've gotten a couple of different team-ups. In Spider-Man 3, we had, uh, what, Sandman and Venom. Either way, I'm, I'm super fucking excited about this. And, uh, God, it's a dream for me to fucking see that. Oh, God, I'd love it. One thing that the MCU has not done that DC has done is, is to make villains the protagonists of a, of a film. I think it'd be cool. So yeah. it's one thing to have them as the villains opposite Spider-Man in a Spider-Man movie. I think it'd be interesting to have a Sinister Six movie where you really go into the to develop those particular characters. If they end up opening up the multiverse with Doctor Strange and you get Spider-Man involved, we're looking at maybe getting a um, into the Spider-Verse like live action film. And so that's something that I'm absolutely fucking looking forward to. Whatever you want, darling. <laughs> Whatever's going to keep you happy. Oh, don't tell me that, beautiful. <laughs> Ooh, stop it. Because I want a PS5, Matthew. Make it happen. I don't think I like you anymore. <laughs> I think after my knees are quivering, then we should possibly move this on. So the fourth news story, and it's all been MCU-related this week, but I'm okay with it. We've got some, we had some perlers and... I think we picked it up and ran with it. And the fourth and final one is the resurfacing of Krasinski and Blunt for the roles of Mr. Fantastic and Sue Storm. Now, I think this has been fan casting for as long as Fantastic Four has been a thing. And it's just interesting now to, to see instead of just conjecture that now it seems at least the rumors are saying that they've, they've been invited to to what's the word audition audition, <laughs> audition. thank god this isn't an audition because i fucking fire myself from my own podcast <laughs> tim take it away before i fuck this up completely all right so as you guys know uh krasinski and blonde we're getting the fantastic four and these guys are again rumored to be taken over like matt said reed richards and sue storm so one question is how credible are the rumors because i mean 
they're pretty, the rumors have been going on for a while since at least 2019 and have kind of resurfaced recently. And it looks like the rumors are at least somewhat credible. Um, and the reason I say that is because both of these guys, both um, Krasinski and Blunt have a history with the MCU or at least um, being MCU adjacent. So Krasinski, I guess, was up for Captain America, was oh. being considered for the role and would have taken the role. And Blunt also for Black Widow. So they have, they've had in the past some MCU interest. And then specifically with respect to these two characters, it looks like the, the rumors are also credible because Blunt has addressed them, although she demurred when she was asked about it. But um, Krasinski has, has adopted, like basically sort of taken on the rumor and, and run with it. So he's saying stuff like, you know, I'd love to be the MCA. Let's keep, let's basically keep this rumor going. <laughs> Although he has not addressed specifically um, Reed Richards that he, the question was about Reed Richards. So when he says like, yes, I would love to be the MCU, that's kind of what he's angling at. So I think the rumors are at least credible based on the sourcing. And then the second question then would be, you know, what do we make of this particular casting decision? So I love, first of all, I love the Fantastic Four. I, I don't know, some of you guys know that I've been doing sort of a long-term reading project. So the fact that the uh, FF are coming to the MCU is very, very exciting for me. And I love this potential casting. I think once, especially Krasinski, once you think of him as Reed Richards, it's, it's sort of hard to unthink of him. Mm. Like I can just see his face in the costume mm. and I, I can't un undo it. Um, but, but the thing that makes it, the casting so great, in my opinion, is if you just think about the Fantastic Four, one of the things that made the, the team so important early on and so revolutionary is not just that it started off the, the Silver Age in comics, but the fact that it wasn't just a, in a, a sort of aggregation of superheroes that were doing their own thing in a just to sort of, sort of shoehorn a bunch of heroes into the same book. The whole point of that book or what made that book so interesting is the family dynamic. The actual internal dynamic is what sort of defines that team, what, what made it so interesting and important. And I think the, the thing about Krasinski and Blunt is that you, you've seen them on screen before, right? We know they're married, but the fact that somebody's married yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, have on-screen on screen chemistry, but these two do. Like, if, I'm sure you guys have all seen A Quiet Place. Um, yeah. They're so, so good together on screen. And they can do both the action stuff, as evidenced by that movie and other stuff that they've done, like um, Jack Reacher. Agatha Blunt did uh, Looper as well, didn't she? Wasn't Movies she in well. the Adjustment Bureau also? Sorry, and um, what's it? The tomorrow. She was awesome in that. She was yeah. great. Yeah. So they've got they've got action shots, but they can also do the intimate story, which is what defines the FF, like that internal dynamic. So they're perfectly cast if they if they get these roles for FF in particular, because you've got the, they can they can obviously carry out the action element, but they, they have such great um, sort of like small screen chemistry um, that would be, that I think is essential for that team especially. So I don't know, I, I think the rumors are both credible and I would be so excited if they both did it. So anyway. Thoughts? As you said, you've read a lot more Fantastic Four than I have. I've read almost none, but the, I think the general impression of Reed Richards and Sue, Sue Storm, it's almost a dysfunctional relationship where uh, Richards is more concentrated on his relationship with science than he is with Sue. Do you think that is something that they'd be able to portray or do you think that it'd be harder because of the, the existing relationship? Such good actors. I think they could absolutely carry off that dynamic. I don't think their personal relationship would get in the way, but I think you've nailed exactly what what is important. The thing about that team is you got the you got the Reed Sue relationship. It, 
you've got Johnny and Ben, which are also, they have their own particular dynamics. So whatever, however they cast those roles, they have to be able to carry off, not just an action movie, a sort of traditional MCU thing, but have that deep team dynamic has to be central to it. And I think they can definitely do it. I mean, The Quiet Place is so, it just showed me so much about how they, how they interact on screen. So yeah, I think they could carry it off. I think if, uh... I think their relationship will be a little bit easier to pull off if you put into context, like, look at Watchmen, the movie, and you saw the way that Dr. Manhattan and Silk Spectre were, were going, and I mean, shit, I, if, if them two can pull it off, I guarantee you Krasinski and Blunt can, mm -hmm. but uh, what I, Tim, is uh, do you have any casting recommendations for not just the thing, but fucking Dr. Doom, man? Oh, man. Let's go, Mickelson. I hate to admit it, but I agree with Matt on this one. The, the only thing I could say uh, about Fantastic Four with Kwasinski is uh, I'm, the, I'm okay with it if it can save me from Jack Ryan, which is an awful TV show. <laughs> is it bad? I haven't watched it. Season one kid me with his depiction of friends. France is a, a sort of fascist state with Islamic terrorists everywhere, decapitating priests, and uh, it, it's a nightmare. Stanley dealt with a lot of metaphysics in what he was putting across or the messaging. And I love the fact that he had fire, earth, air, and water, and represented by each one of their characteristics and stuff like that. And it's just like, wow. But you know, if we're going to talk about rogues galleries or even people now who made a cameo or just popped up once in an FF book and they're now like on the tip of everyone's tongue. Oh my God. You know, not least of all Galactus and Silver Surfer and all of these cosmic beings like the fuck. You know, Uatu, you know, Colton Star's name. You know, like <laughs> so true. Like the first twenty-five issues of FF, the yeah. the Lee Kirby, it's like an iconic villain. Every single one they introduce, it's it's yeah. insane. I'm picking up on what Brian just said, and this is a, a fantastic little anecdote that James Gunn already had Uatu in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, what? and he didn't realize that it was a Fox-owned property. <laughs> and and what happened was he never he left it to right till the last minute to hoping that. It would get so far into the editing that uh, Marvel would have to just go to Fox and do whatever they could to sort it out. But in that time, the Deadpool film wanted teenage Negasonic Warhead, and they didn't realize that that was a Marvel Studios own property. So they actually held off long enough for Fox to have to come cap in hand to Marvel, and they just agreed a straight switch. Wow. And, That's I mean, incredible. But in, in another anecdote, Kevin Feige met over lunch with Amy Pascal and said, um, it was one of their first meetings. She says, oh, so what, what's up, uh, what's up, Kevin? And he goes, oh, we, we'd like Spider-Man back and we'd like to pay for it. She, 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 she ordered the food, turned to him, said, go fuck yourself and walked out. <laughs> what a ball of moon. Wow. <laughs> okay, well, it looks like my anecdotes have not only proved unsuccessful, but it's bored you all half to death. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. No, no. <laughs> I hated it. I mean, okay, final well, thing that I'd like to ask, Tim. I mean, where, where would you like to see them? Would you like to see um, a nuts and bolts origin or would you like some pre-existing off-screen happenings that we don't need to re reproduce again? A lot like 
Spider-Man was done in Civil so War. So would you have um, Franklin Richards and would you work that in with the genesis of the X-Gene and the X-Men? Um, I'm kind of bored with that. I think I would just introduce them through the multiverse and maybe if they're going to do it, have some like flashbacks, uh, origin stuff. But I, I don't know. I do not want a standard sort of linear origin story. I agree Agreed. with you 100%. Agreed. But you could do it in flashbacks so well, especially if you did like separate flashbacks while it goes through of each team member, like experiencing that. If you just bring them in and and have them already fantastic. Especially with, with Spider-Man being so tied into um, Stark Tech, you could have it as a newsflash of, you know, you've got these four famous scientists who are, or five famous scientists who are going up and we can have the origin done through a Spider-Man movie where, you know, he's all interested in what they're doing. And all we see is, you know, oh, there's been a terrible accident. And they come back and we can have them That's as the, like mm -hmm. epilogue video in a Spider-Man film. That would be, yeah. I think that, I feel like that would be the best way to introduce them in. Yeah. There is a good question, which is wh whether you have just the four team members or you bring the kids in too, right from the outset. Mm -hmm. Because that, that, that is a whole additional dynamic. And I don't know if you guys have been reading the um, Dan Slott FF, current FF run. No, um, not. At all. And I won't yeah. spoil anything, but, but um there are some interesting things that happen with respect to whether Franklin is in fact a mutant or not. That that could that could provide a lot of fodder for for plot and character development. And, and I, but I don't know if I would I would handle that initially right off the bat. No, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Bring, you may bring in Franklin, um, bring in the kids uh, themselves right uh, off the bat, so you don't have to develop that story and say like, oh, now Sue and Reed had kids, and you have to you know like have them age into like teenagehood or whatever. You kind of bring them in immediately because they're coming into the multiverse. You can you can do that without really explaining anything. And then in subsequent movies, I presume there'll be more than one Fantastic Four yeah, movie. I, mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring the children in yet. I think it's too much. Yeah. I think it's it's enough to go without an origin story. But I think to bring in because people are gonna be wondering, do they have powers and how come the daughter's so clever and you know just they 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 have yeah. to exist and be accepted as themselves before you start adding in the, the Funko Pops of their children. Can I ask a question? Do you, do you guys think... I'm sorry, just to... No, quick, Matt, you can't ask a question. Is Richard, is his intelligence uh, a superpower or is he just like Batman, whereby he just has inconceivably superhuman traits? B. And slap yourself for not knowing that ahead, as well. Ollie. What the fuck? I'll slap myself for not because you asked me. You know, you can just absorb shit by osmosis, man. You don't have to actually need to read that shit. Yeah, read is like what one of the top five intelligent guys. On, that, that's on like that that very fact sets up the dynamic between him and Dr. Doom. I mean, it's a it's a it's a sort of personal struggle to for who's Lavery. The only, thing, the only thing that I'm going to say to that, Brian, is I play the role of Ellen Page in Inception, whereby when Ellen Page is asking a question, she's not really that stupid. She's doing it for the benefit of the people that are watching. So in the final scene, so in the final scene, <laughs> when she's saying, so, so if I get shot by one of these things, I don't really die and I just wake up. He's like, no, it's different here. We're a different, another level down. It's like, come on, guys, I'm 90 minutes in. I either fucking get it by now or I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one thing that we've not touched on, which is amazing considering how long we've been talking about this, <laughs> the, 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 the acquisition of, of just solely the Fantastic Four without even thinking about the X-Men um, because that's pretty self-contained, is that where was the MCU going to go after Thanos? 
what did they have? All their, all their good, high-powered, super-prioritized villains are all coming through the Fantastic Four. And now it's open totally. to Kang, to Annihilus, to mm. Mole Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got the Underminer. Disney has the Underminer. It's so true that the introduction of the FF is got, it feels like it has to be the anchor for the next phase because of all the villains mm. that they introduce. Mm. Yeah, you know, setting aside setting aside X Men, so I'm ex I'm very excited for that. Yeah, you know, I love. Who would I love you that. like to see if you could choose one of their um, big bads? Who would you like to? Which direction would you like to see it going? Silver Surfer's a part of that as well. Can't believe I overlooked him from Old Man. Although to be fair, he doesn't look quite as cute in slacks. Yeah, I need. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got to do Doctor Doom. I feel like. Yeah, it has to be. It has probably. To be. Okay, well, the, the... Doom first, then Galactus. Okay, the main yeah. discussion point of the day, or I should probably say the fifth main discussion point of the day, is where Marvel Comics go after X of Swords and what our expectations are for Reign of X. So keeping it as spoiler-free for us trade waiters as you can, Ollie, would you like to take the floor? Yeah. So Dawn of X is dead, long lives Reign of X. Uh, we knew going into Ickman's uh, run during the publication of uh, House of X and Power 10 that his run was supposed to be composed of three distinctive parts. He even acknowledged that he could write and make last the second part for years. And at the end of, X, uh, of uh, Ten of Swords crossover, uh, we have the second part coming. Uh, so last Wednesday, we saw the publication of the last three parts of the Ten of Swords crossover, which were Excalibur 15, X-Men 15, and the closing Ten of Swords destruction. Uh, Marvel graced us with a teaser from Mahmoud Azrar, which de depicts several clues as to what's to come. We have Wolverine in his patch disguise with Maverick, Emma Frost seemingly handling an invitation to something. We have Storm, we have Quantin Choir who looks like he's going to explode. We have the Shadow King Arcade, uh, the missing three X-Men that entered the vault, Nightcrawler reading a book, possibly his famous mutant Bible, Scott and Jean, Nemrod, Archangel looking like he's mentoring Monet Saint Croix, and Cypher and someone I won't talk about more, so I won't spoil it to some listener. Worthy of note is the fact that Cy Spurrier retweeted the announcement as well. I'm excited about Spurrier. I think he's done some of the best, uh, most consistent X-Men writing. Uh, I loved his X-Force, uh, Red X-Men yeah. Legacy. And I think he's got a real unique voice in comics. He has, I know we've talk, spoken about this before, but he has a, a very specific way of surprising you. I don't want to call them twists because twists to me suppose that you're told one thing and then in a sleight of hand, it's a waste of time. He carefully, carefully constructs and undermines his own stories. And the thing that is so beautifully precise about the way he does it is that you know that's his writing style. You know that that's what's, what's to be expected, but it still slaps you in the face like every single time. It's just yeah. Yeah, a supremely good writer. He's outstanding. 
his work on Sandman Universe has been just very special, in my opinion. Um, and he's a guy, at least for me, kind of like Chip Zdarsky. And now they're not the same, the same writers, but my reaction to them was similar. At first, I thought, you know, Chip Zdarsky is just sort of a comedy writer. And then he wrote, um, I'm trying to think, like, what, what, he, what got me. Um, Two in One by any chance. Oh, yes. Two in One was outstanding. The best probably the best ff book i've oh, read in, yeah in many awesome. years no his spider-man life story was stupid and incredible oh yes exactly so he to me very much surprised me and spurrier is similar like at first i wasn't i was not sold on him i just did not have the i don't know if those not in the right frame of mind i did not have like the same reaction that i'd have to him now which is that this is a book this is a writer any book he writes i'm getting uh because i think he's at the top of his game right now I tell you what happened with me and Spurrier was I, I was it was when Jared um, who's going to be with us next week hopefully he said uh, he was I was only reading Marvel from a poor list and he said you need to branch out a little bit so I started to buy stuff that he recommended and I was like wow there's a, a bigger world out so let's try and dip our toes in the waters you know I'm not partisan to, to anything for any reason and then I started listening to the end of the, the year lists and there was a title that kept on coming up called God Shaper and that was by Cy Spurrier and Jonas Goonface, I think the artist uh, was, which is a fantastic name. And I, I read it and I was like, wow, comics can do this as well. Like you can have prolific, heartfelt, socially, politically aware, emotionally uh, evocative tale that, that is self-contained as, as much as any novel was. And it opened my eyes to what the capacity and potential of comics could, could actually be. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And you just wait until I do my reviews and I try and find words like that. I'm going to fucking freeze <laughs> like every week. <laughs> Ridiculous, honestly. And now I've mentioned it, I've only just put the, I've only just put the pressure on again. Maybe I'll just piss myself or something. <laughs> take, take the attention away, God knows. But yeah, sorry, I've, I, I hijacked that a, a little bit. yourselves the coolest. Oh, I mean, it's the warmest from where I'm sitting. <laughs> Going back to what Ollie was saying there, that the line-wide success of something this big and organized, mm. I, I think if you look at any individual event or any tie-in to, to an extent that when they do the, the horror, inverted commas, Marvel stuff, that like when we used to have things like Siege of Darkness that would go through four or five titles and it would, it would last for six months, that there has never been a better arranged and organized and line of titles with such a high quality. Yeah. I think sure you can have your preferences, but I would say that if anybody says that any one of those titles that we've seen so far is bad, in the first in the first wave for me, I'd say they're people that are they just like to say things are bad because there is such a level of consistency. And it's hard. It's hard to keep those plates spinning. Yeah, I'm nodding away furiously. That was a fantastic breakdown, Holly. And um you know, it's it, it's it's really impressed me because to have all of those titles and to read across and have that consistent tale and everyone and the editing because everyone is where they should be chronologically and that's fucking hard to pull off. Um, oh, you know, because back in the day, delays or whatever and pushbacks and whatnot, but mm. editorially it is on point and that yeah. is hard. 
didn't know there were short stories that were just going to stop off, which is thankfully Fallen Angels fucking did. But um, it's awesome that they're able to continue. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, that Fallen Angels, I'd heard, I'd heard it had a bad rap, and I read it. I'd say up to the final issue, the first five, possibly, or maybe first four. I of the titles, the good. Simon Kudransky art. I'll say it. That was, that was good. Thing. He's so good. Did, did you read, did you see any of his um, Punisher artwork? Yes. When, on oh, yo, you fucking right I did. He was with Matthew Rosenberg. Jesus. Wow. I was just thinking I want to get the physical copies of that. Wow. Jesus Christ is such a great fucking run. So good. And that, that train fight where it's a double splash panel and it's just got them both moving through the train. Oh, was that him? Him and Daredevil? Oh my God, that was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Incredible. God, I want to go back and read those again now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Hashtag me too. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag wrong reason. <laughs> hashtag demonetized hashtag, hashtag not my hashtag <laughs> okay hashtag me also <laughs> <laughs> all right guys how many fans i, I think we lose? i think we pushed the boat out a little bit too far on that one <laughs> i think we need to drop anchor takes it and runs. i want to plank me hearty <laughs> I love your voices. I, I love my voices too. You should hear me in the shower. Well, I was going to say, oh God, that's terrible. That's awful. But I, I was trying to show a video because I was showing the intros to a friend of mine, a friend of mine in Dakotas. And I was, and she was like, well, where's the British guy that runs it? And I was like, oh, I'll find a video of him. And I found one of your like swag videos. And I, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And I click on it and it's you doing an American voice. And she goes, I fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Just wait. Because <laughs> she had all these expectations of you having a British accent. The first video I show her is she going, anyways, sorry to throw us off the no, train again. No, I'm just uh, taking it back to Ollie. Um, there's been... A huge volume of titles that we've had now. It must be must be way over double figures. I mean, which which do you think have been the the highlights? Which which ones do you think have acted both um, as their individual titles, and which ones do you think have worked best canonically? X Force has been a really really good surprise. Really good. The, the art is uh, really awesome, and I I really love the CIA for mutants uh, vibe of the group. And uh, to seeing Beast uh, be so becoming sh shadier and shadier. Something is happening with uh, mutants that is making me ask myself uh, some question. And <laughs> I won't spoil, but uh, it's going very, very far. Uh, uh, X Men is good, but it's like we've been waiting for it all to connect to launch something. So it's good, but uh, I was talking about it to another reader and he was asking me, but uh, did I miss something? I told him that uh, it's Ikiman style uh, type of uh, writing. It was the same with the first issues of Fantastic Four. And we didn't know how it would connect. And in the end, uh, it, always, it always does. Mm. Follow up about what you are saying about X, man, X. Um, yeah, I, I, I follow you. I think the, the X-Men is, is like your favourite side dish. You, I don't think you can read X-Men 
by itself. If anyone's just out there reading X-Men, they're in the fucking wilderness. I think you need to read X-Men along with something else, you know, if if you're not already reading the whole line. I mean, for me, um, it was Marauders, I think, um, because that has pushed the envelope as far as, you know, what happened with, you know, the biggest storyline with fucking Katie happening that was just you know a shocker emma frost in my world is awesome <laughs> yeah I, i love her with uh what's his name the the designer the the guy which who is, makes uh, the clothes yeah yeah oh i forgot yeah. yeah when she she's trying a lot of dresses oh i want to to do a gala uh, the first mutant gala <laughs> <laughs> Do a gala. I will read. I will read it too. Yeah. I'm my first fan. Yeah. So, so do I it. mean, and and Callisto showing up in that book blew my fucking socks off. I was oh, just like, yeah. yes, oh. yes. You know, because that's where the Marauders title comes from. Lest we forget. Yeah. So, man, that was just like I love what they did with that book. I love it. Well, and we can't. I think we can't talk about Mar- Marauders without talking about what happened to Jerry Duggan online. I think that it just shows the mm. worst of what you can make social media. I think oh, that, so dumb. I, I think that um, to fill in uh, any listeners that are unaware, Jerry Duggan is part of the creative team from Marauders and Kitty Pride is, while not probably actively a part of her character, a character that has been known to be Jewish. And there are parts of that religion, not that I'm an expert, and only taken from what I've read online, that wouldn't have, uh, would, would, would be against their religion to either be cremated or to have tattoos, which caused an uproar online. Now, I think that the important thing to remember is that it's a fictional character and that it's not Jerry Duggan imposing that on a person against any religious rights they have. And in that characterization, that character can be written as either flawed or making decisions that would be traditionally against their religion. So while, like like we addressed in the New Mutants film last week, when Magic was saying they racist things to Danny Moonstar, but that's not because Boone was racist. He was writing a character that said some things that had racial prejudices in them as that characterization. And I think when we lose the ability to draw a line between a fictional characterization and imposing things against people's will in real life, I think we've lost the fucking plot in what the point of fiction is and the point of having mm. artistic freedom to portray characters in a light that that creative sees fitting. It's one of the things that I think is the most reprehensible in comics at the moment. And I think it's a part, it's the part of Twitter that I or none of us are a part of and, and try to avoid, but no less when things like this are giving hysteric amounts of attention, it's hard to avoid. I just think the whole thing is fucking despicable. I get what you're saying, but like, and in that, I just mean like, we can't censor these things. If you're, and it's not like, it's, it's I just think back to uh, Imperium. Have any of y'all seen the film Imperium with uh, old Harry Potter? He plays a uh, CIA, yeah. uh, FBI agent that goes that undercover. goes undercover for, with a neo-Nazi group, and like 
he there, there's a lot of hate-filled words in that movie. And he there's a scene where he's marching with these neo-Nazis and he's like shouting the N-word. And he was like, as soon as they yelled cut, like, he was running up to the extras and being like, I'm so sorry. But like, it, I, I'm not saying that there's places for, for hate-filled words and everything, but in the context of, of art or in film, I mean, you're looking at, writing characters and, and you're not those characters you know what i'm saying bob marley never shot the fucking sheriff <laughs> and and strummer never fought yeah, the war i mean it's just the law <laughs> you know what, like that's that's what I'm saying. i had to explain this to a buddy the other day we were at work and and i was watching a, a pete a, a pete davidson fucking stand-up thing where you know pete davidson's dad died in 9 11. he was a firefighter and he he died in the towers and pete tells a joke where he where he's talks about he was he was seven at the time and he was like it was he was like it wasn't as bad as everybody thinks you know my dad they were like your dad died but here's a playstation 2 and my buddy's like oh that's so fucked up and i'm like no you don't understand dude it's a joke it's a Ooh. joke you know what I'm yeah. like you gotta you gotta it's, take yeah. things into context and i it's so i think people so take bad. things way out of context a a green card and be able to say that anything offensive is is okay if it's done in the name of comedy or entertainment. I think there is, of course, a line that needs to be drawn. I think we do need to caveat what we're saying by that. And we're not giving people license to, to be offensive for offensive sake. But I think that, that there is definitely a line. And unfortunately, it's not a very clear cut one. But I think that you have to choose the right battles. Because when you're taking people like Jerry Duggan, who is a good man. I've, I've, I mean, for as much as I can tell, someone I don't know, listen to him in podcasts, he seems well, well-rounded. He seems to support the right things and, and say the right things. So, you know, as much as you can believe anybody, I think by, by taking people like him to task, not only does it devalue legitimate issues, but it's also a missed opportunity to do that to the right people as well. All I, all I add is that it's just very reductive to say that a... Uh, that a character is merely the mouthpiece for the author. In other words, what the characters, some of the author's views on a thing. And they're a way to suss out when the artist is doing something problematic, but that is not the case in this case. And nor can you assume carte blanche that, 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 the, that the character is a mouthpiece for the writer. It's just- To what was it, X-Men, X-Men Red, where uh, one of the artists hid like political images in, yeah. in, the, uh, in yeah. the comic. I mean, you, you see stuff like that and like, I can get it, but but going after, but going after, you know, I I like the guy, man. Everything that he's done, I, like you said, I've seen him in podcasts, and he seems like just a well-rounded artist, guy. Adrian Seaf used Islamic and anti-Semitic verses in, in X Men Gold Number One. It was inserted without knowledge behind its reported meanings. That's what Marvel Comics said. Now yeah. that has intent, and it's something that was done deliberately, yeah. but nobody really. Heard That's what I was talking about. Like he hid it in like a T-shirt on on a page. Mm. And, uh, you know, you get you get actual criticism for that. And he did get fired. Like, it's been hard for him to find work. I think, actually, he may have found work in the CG scene. Well, I think we've taken um, enough pivots on that one. So, shall we? <laughs> I mean, we, we weren't exactly treading on eggshells, but I think that we're, we're pretty balanced. And to be honest, we're probably going to offend the people that do want to. <laughs> we've probably offended the moderate stance that we've taken. It's probably going to offend the people that think it's despicable and actually offended the people that have said that we went hard enough. But that's just the internet uh, for you. Know, I think fuck them all. Fuck them all. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Let's move on to the cashier, the week's 
readings. So I am going to start this week with Ollie, please. Yes, I'm going to be quick. Uh, why aren't you all reading Lazarus by Greg Ruka and Michael Lark? Because it's still one of, if not the best image book right now. It's released in a weird, uh, uh, almost uh, paperback form every three months. It's a, it's became a quarterly book last last, uh, last year, and uh, it's still awesome. I'm gonna be quick with the premise. Uh, there's been uh, uh, war, poverty, poverty. Uh, and uh, corporations took over the world and it's now leaded by a bunch of families that are worrying themselves and uh, each family is defended by a champion that is the, the sum of all of this its technology and it's called the Lazarus and uh, we're following the Lazarus of the Carlyle family, and uh, like with all Greg Wooker's book, it's a strong woman, and uh, she's smart, and she's gorgeous, and uh, it's a real pleasure to follow her and discover more and more of the intricacies and, pol- and political intrigues of this world. It's, uh, it's, it's rare to have a book with so much politics and schemes in it. And it's a really fleshed and developed book. They even did a tabletop RPG for it. So it's really, really good. It's gorgeous. Michael Lark is at its best on it. Uh, and uh, everybody should read it. And Amazon uh, has the right since forever. And they're supposed to do a series, a TV show. All right, cool. Do you know Do you know what part of uh, production that's in? Are, have they got a creative team together, like a showrunner or scriptwriters or anything yet? I absolutely have no idea. Still waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> I want it so bad. You can't see this, um, um, listeners, but Brian has just got the most beautiful smirk. It is. It's truly something to behold. <laughs> if that doesn't perk you up, I mean. I wouldn't say I'd like to be his wife because that's probably a little bit unfair to both him and his wife. I'll tell you what, the world would be a joy to live in. (laughs) (laughs) Making the uh, the world a joy to live in. What's been making your world a joy to live in this week, Brian? Okay, so yeah, picking up from where Ollie left off earlier, this episode with the 10 of X of swords to a conclusion. It's been a wild ride. There's things you saw that you didn't expect to see, things that you wish they didn't do. But I don't think there's anyone that read the story that said, yeah, I knew this was the way it was going to go. To your point earlier, Matt, that twist in the tail, which is not a bait and switch. I think the things that we wanted to see was the all-out knuckle-dragging, no-hold-bars, let's have it. But you also had some old-school Excalibur-type I'm going to fuck with your head. And Hickman and Howard, Teeny Howard in particular, seems to have a thing for tarot. And that features yeah. hugely. From the from the time Team Krakoa gets to Arako, 
tarot features heavily and plays into the storyline right up until the last fucking minute, which is awesome. So if it doesn't make you want to find out what some of the, the truths behind the tarot cards are, then yeah, you ain't really reading it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great book. You mentioned Moira McTaggart. I didn't mention Moira McTaggart. I said tarot. Tarot, tarot cards. Yeah, don't um, worry about it. I'm going to cut that whole passage out so I still look amazing. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, if I if I talk any more about just how sublime I thought the the, the series was, it was spoiling. Um, mm-hmm. But there was some drop there, gorgeous spreads in destruction. I was just like, yes, this is this is what you waited for. So yeah, get that motherfucking book. Um, and the second book has been Power Pack. And I've loved these guys from I was knee high if I was ever that fucking short. Energizer, Lightspeed, Mass Master. I mean, that name, Mass Master. You can control his mass fucking on. And Zero G, Control Gravity. I love these guys. And maybe because they came, I was reading them around the late 80s, 90s and shit. And they just, they just seemed to go with the zeitgeist of that era, you know, the music I listen to and you know it won't have to be a SWV or a BDP or an acronym or something it, the names kind of remind me of old school hip-hop um oh, and it's God. funny now that they've grown up and um and here they are and I liked it the art was amazing by Nicoline gorgeous sumptuous beautiful colors that just leap off the page it's really rich um, and Ryan North is, seems to know where he's taking the story. Um, I think he's a mini series. And because I love these guys so much, I'm going to hang on to it. But I, it, if I was dipping my toe in, I'd pull it out. But I think it's because I love these guys. I'm, I'm going to stick with it. It's quite funny, actually. Before um, James Gunn was unceremoniously fired and then rehired, he pitched a power pack film to Feige. And as these things do, they generally appear in the news. Wow. And if they didn't, then we wow. wouldn't very much have much to talk about. But I have a no. quote here from Feige when he was asked about <laughs> that. And he said, power pack is a property that we've been interested in for a long time, for many years, because we wanted to do something for families, something that's a little younger. Ant-Man has kind of become that franchise, certainly with Ant-Man and the Wasp, but Power Pack is still one of the many things that we discuss, wouldn't it be fun to do? So mm. I think that there is a real opportunity for, for this to be on Disney+. Plus. I think it fits perfectly, and I think there might be some kind of transfer or there down the line. I mean, it'll work as awesome as animation. You know, just get it done. Well, I think without further ado, I will pass it over to Tim. What have you been reading, Puff? Okay, so uh, just quickly, two things. One, a recommendation. We talked a lot about Fantastic Four today, but I would, I finish up the omnibus of Wade and Waringo's Fantastic Four run. Um, and I won't say, I don't want to tell, uh, spoil any of the plot or any of the story, but I will say it's very Doctor Doom focused, which I like. Mm. And there is a, I won't call it a saga. It's only three issues long and I don't want to upset <laughs> that. But, uh, a, uh, a story arc uh, from uh, issues 509 to 511, which culminates in one of the most famous Fantastic Four stories of all time. Um, probably the best one I've read. Um, and I won't, again, won't say anything about it other than it's, it's, it really does a lot of very interesting metafictional stuff, which I um, think is tremendous. So anyone should check that out. You don't have to read the whole run. If you want to just check out like 509 through 511, 
it's very, very much worth reading, very self-contained. Um, the art, uh, Waringo's art is amazing. Um, one thing that he is able to capture um, is the sort of energy that Kirby had in those in the middle of the Fantastic Forum where he was, he was really at the height of his powers. Waringo really matches that. And it, it's very propulsive, very energetic art. So the art, the writing's great. Wade is so, so knowledgeable about FF history and Waringo's art is tremendous. So I would highly recommend that to anyone, um, especially that, that segment in the middle, 509 to 511. Anyone should check that out. So the second thing is rather than a recommendation, a solicitation for a recommendation, um, I just wrapped, last week wrapped up my my Halloween reading, my sort of spooky book reading for October with Twisted Dark. And one thing I was thinking about is I'd like to do some holiday reading or like theme reading for like the Christmas season, the holiday season. And was trying to puzzle out, like, are there actually any holiday related comics? I mean, I know that like DC, for instance, always puts out like a holiday special. Um, but one thing I'd like to ask if any of you guys have any recommendations or anybody, any listener can hit me up on Twitter if they have recommendations, anything um, sort of holiday themed and comics that I could read. And if you, if I, if anybody gives me recommendations, I will read them and report back on them. But I, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, like the way you could easily find stuff for um, October. So yes, I don't know. Uh, I'd go with uh, Klaus from uh, Grant Morrison. I think there's a couple of different volumes of that too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's arc with Santa Claus, I think. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, Scout Comics is actually coming good. out with a book in December called uh, Red Xmas. And it's supposed All to be right. uh, like a violent uh, take that. on the Santa story. Sweet. It's funny, actually. There was an X-Men Christmas special that explained that the only way that Santa could get around the world in one night was that he was obviously a mutant. <laughs> so, right. so Santa Claus is an official Omega level mutant in the <laughs> Marvel comic <laughs> universe. Um, right, I'll go next. And it's just by absolute choice that these two titles fit together so well. Um, I've continued with my X-23 read through and I did the two Yoast and Kyle minis for last week. This week, I'm on to NYX, the first volume, Wannabe. And I also bought A Curiosity, which was a Jubilee miniseries uh, by Robert Kirkman um, before, before he left for Image and did all his creative own stuff. Now, the reason why these two were so serendipitously put together is because they bas basically have the same kind of story, but are approaching it from very different angles. So it's a great juxtaposition um, for them. Jubilee moves away from the ex-mansion because she's fed up of all the drama and ends up with her estranged aunt who she's meeting for the first time and then has to join a high school. And there's the usual young adult stuff of boys and fitting in and being a nerd and should she hide her powers. And then similarly with NYX, you have a student who is trying doesn't know that she's a mutant and then one day when she's provoked that they come out and this is probably where the duplicity first or the dichotomy sorry first starts with jubilee it's a very um, cw approach to it when nyx is very netflix so with jubilee she she finds out that the bully is actually in a gang but he's in there against his will and she bargains with the gang to let him concentrate on his schooling and it sort of goes a very clean and friendly and all ages approach to it. Whereas with NYX, it ends up culminating in the gang member trying to shoot her in the hallway. 
And then her mutant powers are provoked and she freezes time, moves out the way, but it ends up hitting the teacher. Um, the way that it ties in with X-23 is there's a side story before the two, the two strands meet, whereby she's actually working the streets and has a violent pimp. The, the brilliant thing is that this was actually brought out before the Yost and Kyle, I think. But the, the mental trauma and the physical scars that would have existed from the conception of X-23 in the lab are still prevalent here. There's still the same themes of self-harm. Mm. And she's, she's taciturn to the point of almost being mute. And she's almost like this sort of robotically passing through the day with, with different clients until one, of course, pushes her too far. And you can imagine what, what happened there. But, but yeah, it was, it was great reading these as an accompaniment to one another because the, the stories were so similar. And one made me appreciate the other more. And I think with Jubilee, it's very disposable. And they talk in a very cartoonish way, like your granddad might think kids speak. And yeah, <laughs> there was just a, there was a great partnership that just happened by complete happenstance. So yeah, I'd recommend both of them, but MYX is, is just fa absolutely fantastic. So I'd recommend that if anyone can get a copy of it. And uh, that's, that's my reading for the week. It's actually all my reading for the week. So it's pretty fortunate. So do you want to pick up from there, Joe? Yeah. So I, I picked up uh, Scumbag 2, gave that a quick read. So it continues the story of Ernie Ray Clementine, who is uh, probably a, a very flawed, despicable person. But in this story, they continue and they pull back the onion a little bit. So you see that even though he is despicable, he may not be as bad as, uh, as he's portrayed. He seems to be a little more of a pacifist. He doesn't really intend to hurt people, but his end goal is to get high and he'll do it at any cost. And he doesn't really intend to hurt people, but you see it kind of, as the story progresses, you see he, he becomes a bit more of his good. It's uh, obviously it's Rick Remender who writes this. There's quite a bit of action. They introduce a new, uh, another character from the secret agency that uh, drags him along. And it's definitely setting up a pretty big third issue, I think, where uh, we're going to, we're probably going to see him forced into some action and see uh, what kind of metal he has. And that's it for my read of the week. And now the show. I watched the show. Uh, I watched, finished up season four of Preacher. Oh, and I really, I really enjoyed it. I love this show, right? From season yeah. one right till now. It's been, a, it's been a great show. Another show where the casting is just incredible. Like uh, everybody in this, the casting is just spot on. You have uh, Dominic Cooper, who plays Jesse Custer. Does a great job. My my favorite, my personal favorite is Joseph Gilgan, who plays uh, Cassidy. Oh, Love this guy. This guy goes from, he he has the range where, yeah. I don't know, I think I have an affinity for these despicable characters that, that you just fall in love with. Oh, you know, good. he's just, he's he's got a good heart, but he just sometimes goes about it the wrong ways. And uh, if ever you cast another X-Men movie, this guy has to be cast in a new X-Men movie somewhere. You have to give this guy a role. He would be perfect inside an X-Men universe. I just, I just love him. Yeah, in episode six, with uh, where they kidnap Humperdoot, and they're <laughs> out in the country, and just that relationship with him and Humperdoot is just so... <laughs> So touching and heartwarming. If you did a, 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 a spinoff of the adventures of Cassidy and Humperdue, half-hour episodes, I would watch that shit. That's how good that episode was with those two actors and the way they played off. It was incredible. It was incredible. Probably my favorite episode of that season is Cassidy, Humperdue. Oh, it's, I, I mean, it was great. Can, can and, I just ask uh, you something before you move on, Joe? Um, yeah. 
How big is this in England, uh, in America, in Canada? Because it's got cult status. It's one of the most probably mm. prolific British-made films of the last 20 years. And so much so that there was, I think, three or four spin-off miniseries. It started in the 80s when there was sort of punks and skinheads and it, and it dealt with the racial tensions of that time. And, and uh, the director, Shane Meadows, had, had done quite a few films at the time that but this one sort of grew beyond any, any expectations it's it's just a part of the british zeke guys but i didn't know if you guys had ever seen it but that's that's when he really broke through joseph gilgan i can't recommend them enough mm, so trust me. yeah well uh, the first time i saw him was in uh, misfit he's the reason why i kept coming back later on in that series because yeah. he was he was so good in it and who does it who does it have in it who's the guy from inhumans maximus guy from game of thrones the fucking sick that's that's another show i'd recommend misfits, yeah, misfits it. it's on netflix it'll be on the channel four player as well brian so you'll be able to pick it so up then we're that. we're at tulip o'hara they cast ruth nega as tulip o'hara and everyone's complaining about hollywood whitewashing and everything well they do the opposite here they take the whitest character in preacher mm. and they cast an Ethiopian Irish girl to play that character. And she just smashes it out of the park. She does an amazing job at layered. I mean, tough as nails. Uh, I love it. She is great. Like, I can't say anything about, about anybody casting this show. It's, it's insane. Oh, the hair star. You got Rip Torrens. Great job. Well, then you have the Saint of Killers, which is uh, Graham McTavish. Does a great job as well. Perfect. But the funniest and most interesting thing I found about the casting is... Noah Taylor is cast as Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. Second time this guy plays Hitler, because he played Hitler in the Max with John Cusack. So he's rephrasing a role as Hitler, which I found was freaking hilarious. Just funny, funny as hell. And of course, he does such a... I don't know what it is about people portraying Hitler in these shows, but they, they make them so charming and adorable where you're like, God damn it. There's one scene where Jesus is choking out Hitler or something, and my wife's like, no, you can't kill him off. You can't kill him because he's, he's, he's such a charismatic character in the show. It's, they do such a great job. It, it's, and they tie it all up in a, I'd say the season finale was okay, but everything leading up to it was great. It was amazing. I can't recommend, uh, oh, and the fights in this Oh. This from the season one to season four, the choreography oh, of the fighting with the music. With the music they picked to go along with that choreography, oh, it's a masterpiece in in fighting choreography with music. It, yeah. it I haven't seen it done better than on this show. It's yeah. great. It's a little it, less yeah. good in season four, but the first three seasons, man, it's top notch. Top notch. Do the seasons roughly correspond to the story arcs in the comic, or how do they how do they handle that? They rearranged the order that the things were presented, like the Cole Cannon. Um, first season arc is probably around book five or four in the actual series. Oh, right on. And apparently Rogan wanted to do it as a as a panel by panel remake, but Ennis said to him, no, you, you need to do it the best way for TV. So it, it was, the, the intention was to do it as a perfect uh, recreation, but but yeah, I, I think they nailed it. I can't agree. I can't disagree with anything Joe said. It's it's one of the most perfect adaptations from page to screen, I'd say. Oh, so you you enjoyed it, Matt? Well, then, uh, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
I'm changing my review. This show was garbage. It's fucking shit. <laughs> I just... <laughs> no, no, I, I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was the great. TV adaptations of Garth Ennis, man. They've been hitting it out of the park. But then Seth Rogen's involved with the boys, too. He has a love for this stuff, and it shows in the shows. It's so right. good. It's it so great. good, both of them. I think with Preacher, the series when I realized that this means business was the second one. And I think it's what... Um, Actually, this is this is quite an interesting fact. It makes a lot of sense, and, and why I draw parallels with The Walking Dead. That people were asking about Robert Kirkman's workload, and he said that well, in the first five seasons of The Walking Dead, I was spending ten to twelve hours in the scriptwriter's room, and then after that, my workload became a lot easier. So, and I think that shows because those first five seasons of The Walking Dead for me are supreme television, and after that, it was a bit up and down. And I think what that does, and Preacher does really well is you have a premise, but it doesn't let the premise get in the way of the story. And I think that it's about relationships. And when you concentrate on the dramatic, you have a, a strong enough foothold to then hold the baubles of the premise. And what I like as well is the precision of the relationships. It's not like in Days Gone By with Prison Break, with Sons of Anarchy, with Lost, where there was tokenistic characters that reacted one way all the time. I'm sure there might be a development of someone becoming better or more evil, but it was a very progressive thing. These shows have the sophistication to know that no one person is the same thing all the time. So the relationship that Jesse has with, with Cassidy is different to the relationship Jesse has with Tulip. It's a different relationship to Tulip has with Cassidy. And it's, it's knowing that, that then the, the action scenes, the, the, the grotesque drugs taken, that these these ridiculous characters of the of the antagonist work because it's founded in supremely well-written drama. And like you touched on, that triangle between uh, Jesse, Tulip, and Cassidy is just, it's, mm. it's great. It's amazing. They do a great job with that from start to finish. Yeah. And it's so complex and layered and, so good. and like, oh, it's just so good. And at the end, that that's one thing. The season finale didn't, like wool me or knock me yeah. off my socks, but it was a nice little ending where you saw the mutual respect. I don't want to give it away in case someone watches it, but it's a nice, it's a nice little end to that triangle of their friendship where they all mutually love each other. Yeah. In just as much as one another, but in different ways. And it, it, it was just, it was a nice little touch at the end. And I, I like the way that they're all fatally flawed as well. That going back to the no one person is any one thing that that they're not, they're not necessarily 100% good or 100% bad any of the time. They're, it's, they're, as much as their relationships are complex, the characters are complex as well. Yeah, yeah I agree completely. It, it was great. Before we wrap things up, we'll go to Goose. Breaking news. I've been reading some really dope shit. Uh, I've got, I'm going to make this short and sweet. Not how like everybody said, I'm going to make this short and then went on. Because uh, I've got a few. Uh, I know his name is Neil Gaiman, but this shit is straight as fuck. You need to be reading Norse mythology. This is number two. It's a, a we all know the fucking stories, but do we know the stories by Neil Gaiman? No, we fucking don't. Fucking bomb as shit. You want to talk about death? Let's talk about death. This was one of the most insightful and deep fucking issues that I've read in my entire fucking life. Issue eight of Coffinbound pushes the goddamn limits, and you boys need to be fucking reading it. What can I say about a tunnel too that hasn't been said about Matt? We all leave him with the last word being cunt. And that is the last word of this book right here. <laughs> she gets the shit smacked out of her. There's something going on with the fucking leaves. It's incredible. I don't know if you guys are reading this. If not, fuck you, you should be. 
This is Big Girls 3. And y'all know how much I like Big Girls. She ain't a lady unless she's 280, you hear me? So Big Girls 3, all the work is done by Jason Howard. The art, the coloring, the fuck. I don't know if he's doing the script or if he's doing the lettering or not. But it's just fucking incredible. I'm on issue three, and I finished it and immediately wanted issue four. It'll be here Tuesday, and I'm going to love it. Jason Howard, big ups to you, kicking ass. He's done some Robert Kirkman work as well. The last one I'm going to get into is uh, Dark Multiverse Hush. You like fucked up shit? Me too. And this is as fucked up as it can get. I fucking loved it. I, this is my first Dark Multiverse book that I've read, and I'm going to go back and read all of them. Because this gives an insightful new fucking twist on the Batman Hush story with Batman the silenced wheel. Because no matter what happens in the fucking multiverse, Bruce Wayne is always Batman unless it's in the fucking button where he gets killed and Thomas Wayne takes up the mantle. Those are my five books. Fuck. <laughs> Good job. Wow. Excellent. Wow. Well, wow. okay, let's round it up. We'll all say goodbye. Should we all say goodbye together so we're not fucking about? <laughs> all right. Everybody, Bye. say goodbye. 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 Bye, you guys. Have a good week. Talk to you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Okay, that only leaves me to say that we have Peace. been, and this is the end. <laughs>